0: Welcome to the Colts Reunion Podcast, a conversation with former Colts players, a look back at their career, what they're up to now, and how the Colts played a positive role in their lives. Welcome to another episode of the Colts Reunion Podcast, our audio series here in the summertime visiting with some former Colts greats. I'm Matt Taylor inside the Indiana Union Construction Industry Radio Studio with Colts Ring of Honor member Bill Brooks. And today, our special guest is the legendary Adam Vinatieri, who kicked for the Colts for 14 seasons from 2006 to 2019. He started his career professionally with the Amsterdam Admirals in 1996, a part of NFL Europe. And then, as they say, the rest is history from there. Arguably the greatest kicker in NFL history and one of the most clutch players the game has ever seen. Vinatieri played 10 years with the New England Patriots before coming over to the Colts as a free agent. All told, Vinatieri is a four-time Super Bowl champ, a three-time first-team All-Pro, a three-time Pro Bowler, and just a few of his NFL records include most career points in league history, Most consecutive field goals made with 44 during the 2015 and 2016 seasons. Most combined games played between the regular season and the postseason was part of 242 victories, including the playoffs, the most ever by a single player. He also holds the record for most career field goals made with 599 and most seasons with at least 100 points with 21 such campaigns. With the Colts, his 1,515 points and 394 field goals made are most in franchise history and is the only player in league history to make at least 250 field goals and notch 1,000 points with two separate franchises. So that's the big lead-in with the great Adam Vinatieri, who joins us via the phone line now. Adam, thanks a million for your time today, sir. How are you today?
1: I'm doing great. It's a pleasure having me on. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate you inviting me to the show. Things are great.
0: Absolutely. You kidding me? This is an absolute pleasure for us. Uh, so before we get going here and, and uh, talk about all those clutch kicks and go down memory lane and talk about all of your accomplishments, can you tell us what you're up to now, Adam? You know what's what's a typical day now for Adam Vinatieri nowadays?
1: Well, you know, it doesn't seem like I'm less busy. I've just reprioritized my time getting to the bucket list of stuff and the honeydew list I put off for years and years and years. But uh, really diving into – um family stuff right now i i had the pleasure of coaching my older son for a couple years uh, at zinesville high school now i'm coaching my younger son at baseball and football so so family's occupying some time traveling i'm a big outdoorsman love to hunt and fish and do all that stuff so when the when the season's on and the and the weather's right uh, i go do a bunch of that as well and then and then just you know i get a I get to get up in the morning and drink a cup of coffee and watch the news for an hour rather than have to run off the, to, the, to the facilities and get my workout in. So, But, no, I, I, I'm having a great time really really, just kind of dive, diving into the family stuff right now.
2: You know, Adam, you just mentioned about your family. You spend a lot of time with your family. and We know another one of your passions is hunting. And I guess back in 2018, you had uh, purchased a, a hunting ranch uh, called Record-Breaking Ranch. Uh, out in Missouri, and, and just wondering, you know have you had any time to get out there, do any hunting? And if you did, uh, if you do, what type of game do you like to hunt?
1: No, absolutely, yeah, no, that was one of the things that I've always enjoyed. Growing up in South Dakota, I was a, uh, you know, I did a lot of hunting with my with my relatives and my dad and grandfather and a bunch of people. So, so it was always kind of one of the things that I really enjoyed. When football season was over, to be able to go and get outside into nature and, and just kind of decompress, you know, with with not a bunch of people around and just being in nature, kind of it's my happy place, if you will. So uh, when I started thinking like, hey, my career is starting to come to getting close to being to the end, I, I thought about uh, what do I want to transition into, and and the outdoors has been such a great thing for me. So like you said, I bought a ranch in Missouri. It's a uh, it's a place where we have clients come out. It's mostly deer and elk, but we have, uh, a, a lot of different exotics as well. Some of the, what you think of, uh, that ha- on the ranches down in Texas, all the, you know, the different sheep and goats and, and, uh, mouflon and audad and all, all, all different kinds of stuff. So right, right. yeah, I make it out there a handful of times a year. I do a little hunting myself. Most of the time when I get out there, there's, there's clients. So I'm, losing and maybe telling some football stories and stuff like that uh, which is awesome too you know they want to hear it and I want to tell it sometimes so it works out good but yeah no I I get out there I've got I've got great managers that run the place so it's a little bit less stressful that I don't have to do all the the crappy work and I just get to go out and
0: have fun I mean yeah you've been all over the world Adam uh, hunting I mean that's been well chronicled and you know that that story's been told what's the most exciting thing you've been able to to hunt and and what are some things that are still left on your bucket list in terms of location and and game?
1: There's 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 lots of things still on my list. <laughs> the past couple of years, I've been fortunate enough to check off a couple bucket list things. I went to Cameroon this last year and and hunted the savannah, And Lord Derby Eland is the giant is the biggest Eland in the world, biggest antelope in the world, which I, I, I harvested one of those, which was awesome. I'm going back to Cameroon again to go into the rainforest because. That's a whole different experience that I've never done before, going into the rainforest and, and hunting different forest animals. That will be that'll be pretty cool and, and uh and a lot of fun as well. Uh been to the Arctic, been to Argentina, been to obviously like I said, Africa a dozen times. It's just I just like to go different places and, and see different cultures and see how people live. You know, going up to the Arctic and, and hunting with the with the Eskimos up there, the the natives up there is a completely different experience than you'll do in in South South America or Africa or something like that. So, you know, it's less about it's less about the harvesting of the animal and more about the experience and seeing different cultures and different ways of life and, and just experiencing that kind of thing. Sometimes the travel part is, is is daunting when you have to travel several days to get to your to your location. You have to have a little a little patience. Sometimes things don't always work out right. right. But uh, if you can and you can relax a little bit uh, once you get there, it's amazing.
2: Now, Adam, you, you talk about hunting and everything, and that's one of your passions. Of course, family is something that's important to you. Does your family go out and hunt with you anytime or anything like that?
1: Yeah, both my boys really enjoy doing that stuff. My, my wife and my daughter, they... They have zero interest in that, which is okay. <laughs> um, my wife always laughs at me. Says, "You get up at four thirty in the morning and go sit out in the cold uh, for what?" You know, so <laughs> she, she doesn't understand it. But uh, I don't. She, she doesn't have to come along if she doesn't want to. But uh, you know, I mean, honestly, God, though, like when the when, when the sun starts coming up and the birds start chirping and and you're out there by yourself or with a few people, you know, it's just it's it's kind of exciting and kind of cool, just. Some things that people don't get experience that uh, the, the simple pleasures in life and nature is, is kind of
2: awesome. That is that is true. Definitely is true. So you have time to spend with your son now. You also have time to spend with your son. You were coaching him kicking as well uh, when he was in high school. Now, how, how is it coaching your son kicking? Is it something that is enjoyable and, and easy to do, or is he one of those kids, which, uh, which my daughter is, she doesn't want me to do anything uh, to tell her anything, <laughs> or you know, was he easy, easy to coach?
1: Well, a little bit of both, I guess. Obviously, <laughs> um, a, a little bit of my credentials speaks for itself. So he he knows I know what I'm talking about. Uh, and, and now it's fun because I have one, like I said, that you know was a high schooler, and now I've got I'm I'm helping out with my middle schooler too. And so it's starting kind of at a, a more elementary level, where where you're starting from scratch again. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, if they if they think I'm crazy, then I invite a couple of my former teammates out there and then say. <laughs> Like, Larry Rigo's cut one out and kicked, and, and, and Luke and some of the other guys, and Thomas Morstead, some, some of the other NFL guys, too, that I've talked to and, and shared film with, and they've kind of shared stories. And they're like, so they I guess they, they help back it up a little bit for me because uh, sometimes my kids listen to them, and then they go, but your dad does know what he's talking about. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, Exactly. <laughs> They, yeah.
1: they help me out a little bit on that to, to re-give right. re, uh, me my credentials, I guess. Yeah,
0: sometimes it, it's just a different voice. You know, you respond differently to, you know, not a parent, but it's always good. You know, hey, listen to your dad. He actually knows what he's talking about, right? <laughs> well, let's hit the rewind button a little bit, Adam. Growing up in South Dakota, uh, you go to South Dakota State, kick four years there. You finish as the school's all-time leader in in points and you were first team all-conference honors every season there then you get the opportunity um in nfl europe in 1996 you train with the amsterdam admirals you were a kicker and a punter initially um i guess we'll start there adam how did you get that opportunity how did that come about for you and then maybe piggybacking off of that how how disappointed were you that the nfl shot initially did not come for you you know that that first professional yeah. job was—you had to go overseas for that.
1: Well, no, for sure. I, I know when my senior year came around, I, I had a couple of CFL teams that were interested in me, but I, my dreams and goals and thoughts were NFL always, like probably every American kid. Mm-hmm. Um, had a couple of NFL teams that talked to me. Um, Steve Hoffman with the Dallas Cowboys said, that, "You know, we're gonna we're gonna bring you in as a." an undrafted free agent, and so I knew I wasn't going to get drafted coming from a small school. my stats weren't there and I just I just wasn't um, the high powered you know recruit out of college. Um, but draft came and gone, and I didn't get any phone calls, so it was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do next And I really wasn't willing to give up football yet at that point. I thought I still had a chance and something to offer at that point. so as I started to search around, uh, figured, you know, started working with a kicking coach down in in Virginia who had connections with the NFL Europe, and and um, I guess they spotted me and decided uh, the Amsterdam Admirals decided that they thought that I would be a good uh, a good pickup for their team, and I'm glad they did because it worked out pretty well. And and right. uh, at training camp in in Georgia, actually, it was at the Atlanta Falcons training camp where all the NFL Europe teams met up before they flew overseas and went to the respective countries and so all of the specialists worked together for a couple of weeks and, and a lot of the NFL coaches were were there recruiting and watching and that kind of stuff and that's where I met New England's coach and ironically enough Clyde Powers who was uh, a scout with the Colts at the time so the two teams leaving <laughs> Amsterdam that were that had some interest in me at the time were both Indian and New England but wow. at the time I felt New England was was the one that I actually had a better shot of actually making the team. Right. So I signed with them, and, and, you know, kind of the rest is history from there.
0: Yeah, so, so there you sign with the Patriots as an undrafted free agent. Then you come in. You're competing for the kicking job with Matt Barr, who was a very established kicker at the time, and the head coach of the Patriots at the time was Bill Parcells, and he and Barr actually had some history together in New York. They won a Super Bowl with the Giants in 1990, Uh, But even with that, you end up winning that job because Bar, from what I read, Adam couldn't efficiently perform kickoff duties. So you're the guy. What what do you remember about that competition and how close it was and how nerve wracking it was to get that opportunity? And if you don't get that opportunity, Adam, and and get that job, I don't think the world ever knows uh, you as Adam Vinatieri, as we know you today in terms of one of the greatest kickers and clutch kickers of all time. So what do you remember about that initial competition in the NFL?
1: Oh well, yeah, no, and and I think that's probably why I chose uh, New England over any other potential spots because New England said, hey, we've got Matt Barr as a field goal kicker. He's 40 plus years old. He doesn't have a kickoff leg much anymore. So we're going to bring in, and they brought in, I think four of us rookies to compete for the kickoff job. Um, and within the first week 10 days, I kind of Solidified that position if if you can I guess probably the best one of the four of us that were there and then at that point they they said all right well you know kick field goals too and and I did pretty well in in preseason and training camp and all that and I guess Bill Parcells decided to take a shot with me and I'm sure he had I'm sure he had Matt on the. Uh, <laughs> On the full, you know on the back burner saying hey if this kid screws up you're back here in about <laughs> you know two minutes so I think it was one of those situations that Bill thought about roster spots and maybe saving some salary and and said let's see if this kid can do it and if he can't you know we'll make a decision quickly but uh, fortunately for me you I mean nothing's perfect I I had a little speed bumps along the way my rookie year but but I made my way through it and finished the year off decent and kind of kept going from there. But you know, the, the actual competition, Matt Barr was, is what is, and was an amazing kicker um, learned a lot from him, just kind of watching his preparation and mm-hmm. all that stuff. I think the major difference was, you know, I was a 23 year old, young, you know, strong legged kid at the time. And he was kind of coming toward the, the downhill slide a little bit and, I think that's ultimately that, that what gave me the shot, is being at the right place at the right time.
2: Now, we, we, you just told us about your tryout there and your rookie season in the National Football League, and everyone knows about all of your accomplishments throughout your career. But one play that's not mentioned often is you running down Herschel Walker your rookie year in Dallas. And um, I just wanted to know, what was going through your mind when you saw Herschel Walker going for a touchdown and you ended up running him down?
1: Yeah, I don't know how that happened to be quite frank with you. I think uh I don't know if I don't know if God is football fan and or a Dallas fan or a New England fan, but that day he definitely helped me out because I'm not as fast as Herschel Walker. <laughs> but for some reason he, he broke loose and I was kinda of in the middle of the field and he was down to, to my right side so, you know, he kinda of going toward the sideline and he, he broke loose past everybody and, and uh I really didn't have an angle on him. I, we were about even and I was a ways off so I had to I just remember taking off running and, and thinking to myself, I'm not letting him get to the end zone. And and <laughs> how I picked up that bit of speed is is only by God's grace, probably because I'm not as fast as Herschel. But, you know, every every couple 10 yards, I was gaining a little ground and gaining a little ground. And then all of a sudden I got to a point where I could dive and, and kind of wrap him up at about the, I don't even know, 25-yard line or 20. So, I mean, he got a, 75 yard return out of it but he didn't get to the end zone and the nice thing is is they had to kick a field goal and they didn't score a touchdown so mm-hmm. uh that was probably one of the plays and i know bill parcells said it to me too he he gave me a probably the coolest compliment i've ever had he told me he said hey adam like things are different for you now like guys are going to treat you like a football player not a kicker anymore because yeah. that was one of the greatest plays i've ever seen so you know i still get goosebumps thinking about it now because uh you know, a compliment like that meant, you know, you're expected to make all your kicks and stuff. But yes. when you do yeah. when you do something that's not expected, you know, to sh- And for me, it was just about, you. like, I just wanted the team to know, hey, listen, I, I care as much as anybody, and I'm not going to turn this down and let them get to the end zone. Like, I'm going to do everything I can, if I can, get there. And ultimately, it saved four points, I guess, because they kicked the field goal instead. And, right. you know, it, you never know. You know, th- those are the kind of things that – you know, I'm a kicker. I'm supposed to make my kicks, but but a few plays like that, throwing a touchdown pass and throwing doing that, you know, those are the those are the exclamation points or the highlights in your career that you get to sit back and laugh about. And
2: especially must have been a lot coming from Bill Parcells, <laughs> yes, him making exactly. that type of compliment to you, because I'm sure many compliments <laughs> didn't come out of Bill Parcells' mouth. You earned it. If you got a compliment,
1: you definitely earned it. Definitely.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about that. Last one on the the,
0: the Patriots and, and the Parcells. I mean, it's good segue. Your rookie season, Adam, early on, kind of some ups and downs, and then I think it might have been week three. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the Patriots, you guys are up big, and there's an opportunity for you to kick a field goal late in a game, and then Parcells comes up to you and, and basically gives you an ultimatum. Is is that kind of how that story goes? Do you do you remember that correctly?
1: Well, yeah. Well, so so we played it. Yeah my rookie season, play in Miami, Buffalo's the next one, crappy weather, mm-hmm. I guess a short field and an extra point, which is never a good thing when you're, never a good thing ever, but really bad when you're a rookie in your second game of your career. Right. Third game comes around, we're playing Arizona, I believe, I miss another kick, and he makes the comment to the media that Adam is week to week right now, which basically means, you um, you're either going to do well or you're going to be gone, I think is the way I read it. So (laughs) a little extra stress involved with that. I think week four was Jacksonville, and I went – I made five field goals and a game winner in that game, which bought me another week or two. Okay, yeah, that's what it was. Yes. That was kind of the thing that kind of helped push me and build confidence. And I think the rest of the season after that – the first three weeks were pretty tough, and then after that things got a little bit better, and I guess I – caught my groove a little bit or whatever, and and the rest kind of was fairly – it was never easy, and you're never not stressed out as a kicker or as a rookie kicker with Bill Parcells for sure. But (laughs) I think I bought myself another week, and, you know, like I knew I was week to week as a rookie anyway. There, there, That goes without saying. But uh, when he publicly said that, I knew that I better have a good game or or I'm going to be uh, back in South Dakota trying to find a job
2: now now you had a a great 10 years with new england and now it's time for you to move on free agency hits and you become a free agent and i'm sure you had teams uh asking for your services to play for for them you decided to go play with the colts what was your decision like in deciding your to come play for the Indianapolis colts uh after 10 years with the patriots no
1: absolutely so my whole thing was Leaving a great, great organization that won a bunch of Super Bowls. My thought was, if I'm going to leave there, I'm going to, ha- I'm going to go to uh, an or- a great organization that has a chance to win right away. Obviously, when I was in New England, our biggest battles were with the Colts and Peyton and Marvin, Reg and and Edge and all these guys that like, like we had to play our best game to beat the Colts. And so, in my in my mind, I was like. You know, this is the this is the other number one team in the AFC. So when I did get a bunch of phone calls from a bunch of different teams, but uh, when Bill Polian called and said we'd like you to be an Indianapolis Colt, two things. First and foremost, it's a dome. I'm inside. I don't have to deal with New England weather anymore, <laughs> which was very very appealing. But it was also I knew that this team was a was a year in and year out playoff team, and and I was hoping that maybe I could help be the the one little key factor that could help push us over the top with, with beating the Patriots. So, you know, it was an easy decision. I, I wanted to come play with all those superstars that were on the Colts and, and thank goodness they wanted me here. And, and uh, it was, it was a difficult decision leaving a franchise after 10 years and that success. But, you know, the, the Hoosier hospitality and the people of, of Indy, um, obviously, I had, to, I had to earn my stripes. I had to prove that I was worthy of the luck, but uh, they opened their arms, and, and, uh, and uh, that first year we win the Super Bowl, and it was pretty sweet for sure.
2: Now, you, you definitely earned your stripes here and earned that you should have been here. That, that's without a doubt. Now, you play for two organizations. The two organizations had a lot of success during your time, both with you playing here for Indianapolis and with New England as well. What were some of the things that were similar about both organizations that made them successful? And if you can tell us, what were any differences that you saw in the two organizations as far as New England and Indianapolis?
1: Sure. Well, well, obviously, you can't be successful year in and year out without great ownership and leadership uh, in the front office and wanting to be successful and wanting to commit to whatever it takes to be successful, and I think both co- both owners did a great job hiring their coaches. Obviously, Bill, Bill Belichick in, in Indy and Tony Dungy at the time when I got to, to Indy. I mean, two Hall of Fame – well, one Hall of Fame, one I absolutely will be a Hall of Famer when he's done coaching. Uh, I mean, you know, two, two great coaches that were that were really wanting to – all coaches want to win Super Bowls, but they, they did a great job. And I think Bill Polian as well, what a, what a tremendous – man on on finding talent, drafting talent. Like, we got to Indy, and I was like, oh, my God, you guys got superstars across the board. I mean, like, you just you just look at the team and go, you know, y'all should win back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to back Super Bowls with the amount of talent that was here. So, I think – so, similarities, I think both teams were, were all committed into winning championships. I think some of the differences – you couldn't find two different coaching styles or, or personalities from the two head coaches. I mean, they're just completely different, uh, the way they coach, the way they address stuff. But, but both teams have a, a ton of talent. You know, I think, I think you got Tom Brady on one side, Peyton Manning on the other. Both of these two guys are exceptional leaders, exceptionally talented men, obviously. But I saw Peyton... Like, like, uh, he, he was like having a head coach on the football field at the time. I mean, he was micromanaging every player, he knew what every person was doing. He, I, I watched him challenge guys during practice in the middle of a play. I think it was, I think it was Dylan Gandy that he stopped the play in the middle of the in the middle of the team. <laughs> hey, Dylan, what do you do on this play? And he's like, That's not even a play we're doing. because I, I know what are you supposed to do? And he's like, Well, I, you know, whatever, what, whatever the term, I scraped the two, whatever. Well, you know, he's like, All right, cool. So, like, like Peyton was like the ultimate um, I don't even know how you describe the quiz guy like he did it to all the guys. I remember Austin Colley saying that, and some of the different guys about this guy is is so into making sure we prepared mm-hmm. and so that goes a long way because I don't think every person or every player has that commitment to excellence like Peyton did so I think I think and 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 obviously. Is exactly the same way. So both teams, ton of talent, great coaches, ownership that wanted to win. I mean, when you have that formula, I think you uh, you're going to win a lot of games.
0: No doubt about it, Adam. You, you had so many clutch kicks over the course of your career, and we can't get to all of them. So for the sake of time, let's just lump them all together, uh, <laughs> right? Which is, I know, is, is incredibly hard to do. But right in, in the Super Bowl 36, you had the game winner. Um, from 48 yards out against the Rams, as time expired in Super Bowl 38, you hit the 41-yarder against the Panthers in walk-off fashion. Uh, but you had 29 career game-winning field goals, including 12 with the Colts. And at age 46, you became the oldest player in NFL history to nail a 50-yard field goal uh, to win a game in the final minute of the fourth quarter or overtime. What what was your process? What was your your mental process and setup? as the offense is going down the field and they're getting close to field goal range late in the game fourth quarter overtime what was your mental process to get ready for that and and how did you compartmentalize the stress and the pressure if you felt that in those moments especially in those playoff games or those those big games in the regular season that ultimately you know held a lot of magnitude
1: yeah i think every coach tries to teach a process right like like you have to trust you, you trust the process throughout, not only throughout a season, but but I had I had a process for me as well. You know, like very very meticulous on when we cross the fifty yard line, I'm in the net. You know, x amount of kicks to get ready. Um, I you know I always had a, a ton of trust in the guys you know that are going to be blocking for me to snap the hold. You know, I, I was very very fortunate throughout my career to have really great athletes around me that cared that that really wanted to be well for instance pat mcafee signs with the colts call tells me hey adam i've never <laughs> held one day in my life and i'm like oh my gosh right like holy cow this is going to be interesting caused me a little bit of stress obviously but to his credit like i flew him off to to north carolina where kenny walters who at the time was by far my favorite best holder i've ever had and i said hey, you know, Pat, you're going to go and you're going to work with him for a couple of days. Pat never argued, never complained, went, spent several days, learned, picked his brain, and then came back. And the first thing Pat did was, hey, let's practice this. I learned a bunch of stuff. I want to muscle memory and grain it into my head so I can be really, really good. And that's what he did. And that's why I have such a huge respect for him and some of the other guys that I've played with because they're professionals. They want to be good. They want to be great. They want to be the best, right? So... I guess when what I'm why I tell that story is because now I can step onto the field and I know that they're going to do their job. I don't have to worry about, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. hey, the guy's up front block. Is it going to be a good snap? Is it going to be a good hold? I can just pr- trust that and just really rely on my process about, you know, clearing my mind, thinking about what the kick is. Hey, you know, and, and that's the other thing. You know, if if you a good kicker can not let his mind mess him up because. Technically, form-wise, you know, we've all done it a million times. Our body knows what to do. The reason why it fails at times is we're thinking about too much or we're thinking about the one that we missed last game or, or, oh, my God, there's so much pressure on this one or whatever. And so I guess for me, I I don't know. I would say I was pretty good at clearing my mind and really just focusing in on – my little bubble, my little three-yard circle around me, that, and not worrying about all the other stuff. Just right. trusting right. the process and, and really just doing my thing. And and I think I think over years and the more you do it, the longer you do it, and the more experiences you have. Not to say the twenty-ninth one was any easier than the first one, but you've built on so many years of experience that that it's a little bit easier maybe to know that you can do this right so so for me it was all about like never letting it get too big I mean obviously I knew that first Super Bowl game winner if you know or 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 the one in the snow against Oakland uh, that's maybe the one that I'm the most proud of in my entire career yes you know if we miss that kick we're cleaning out our locker and the season's over but if you're going out there onto the field thinking about that you're probably going to miss the kick (laughs) You, you really have to be I'm thinking. Okay, there's snow on the ground, short steps, you know, don't try too much, you know, do all the little things, all the technical things. And then again, that's that's trusting the process of what you've learned and and hey, it takes this much time, you this is how you do it, this is you know, your form, your you know, all that stuff that goes into it. And and if you can do that and you can rely on that and you can really shut your mind from thinking too much. Other than that, I think you're you're going to be in good
0: shape. You know, a very underrated kick of yours that that I I will always remember is the the blizzard game, the snow game in Buffalo. I think it was in <laughs> 2017. I mean, obviously yeah. the the aesthetics of that game are are not going to win any prizes, but uh, it was late in the game. I think the game went into overtime, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. and you have yeah. to drill a clutch extra point in the snow I just remember like Anthony Costanzo and Jack Doyle out there kicking snow out of the way to give you a a patch of turf to to nail this thing and it was a a line drive knuckleballer and it went in I I I think that was one of the most clutch kicks I ever saw from you personally
1: yeah that weather up there I tell you what about if if I had to name my 10 worst weather games I've ever played and nine of the 10 are in Buffalo. It just just <laughs> right. like that's always the situation. In that particular game, it snowed the entire game, lots and lots of snow on the ground, like 6-8 yeah. inches, whatever it was. But, yeah. yeah, that was one of those that, you know, we were going for two, Jack Doyle catches it in the end zone, they call us on a pick play, now all of a sudden it's a 10-yard penalty or whatever, and and uh, uh, Coach said, uh, let's kick it. And I'm like kick it in this and miss, man, on a penalty on top it's a I don't even remember a 38 or 43 yard extra point I'm like oh my god this is crazy but yeah fortunately you know like, like I said the guys moved as much snow off the ground as they could and yeah. and uh, I knew I had to play it outside the upright and it's funny if you watch the Buffalo player he he definitely thinks I miss it he's like no good <laughs> and it just kind of kind of hooks back in and goes where you yeah. know and I remember Max V, you know his comments on his shows, like "Oh my God, he made that!" Key. Like, what the heck, you know that kind of thing. So there's been a few of them that I kind of kind of pinch myself yeah. and I go, you know, think about like, like of course I try to, play, but but you know to 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 think you know where to kick it and how to do it and all that stuff, but then to actually take the kick, I think you're right. right. That was probably. One of the the craziest ones I've ever
0: made, for sure. I mean, it's amazing. You played 24 years. I bring up one kick, and you knew all the details <laughs> about it. You know, the entire setup, man. It's just that, that's why you are the way you are, and that's why you are one of the greatest of all time. And you brought up Pat McAfee, and, and he was your holder during that uh, stretch, Adam, where you, you still own the NFL record for most consecutive field goals made with 44 between 2015 and 2016. I was there for all of them, as I said. Pat was your guy. Looking back on that streak, how much were you in the zone, for lack of a better term, during that time? I mean, outside of McAfee, how what 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 else allowed you to get that record? Uh, in terms of how you were feeling physically, mentally, you were just sharp as all get out. What else allowed you to achieve that record?
1: Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because I, you know, I I remember that streak, and there was time, you know, there was. You get in the middle of that, and for some reason, you know, everything was going right. You know, it, it just – I felt – literally, I felt like I couldn't miss, right? We would we would go through – and Pat Pat even said it, too, in some of his interviews that he's done. He's like, you know, during that streak, like, he wouldn't miss in practice either. We'd kick 11, 12 kicks during practice, and he goes, there's three or four weeks that he never missed right. a single kick. And, and I don't know why that is, right? I mean, it's it's always our goal to be – Perfect on our on our kicks and stuff like that, but it just yeah we were we were grooving it at that point, and I think you know confidence is is I think you can build over time. You get streaky good, or, or even the other way, you know, a baseball player goes through a, a slump that he can't hit a ball, and nothing's changed. It's just he just you know you might be having bad luck, and then all of a sudden he's pressuring a little bit or stressed out a little bit or trying too hard. This on the other side, it just seemed like goodness gracious, Every everything was like, I just knew when I was going out onto the field like, yeah, I'm going to make this, and and there was five or six during that time, or seven during that time, there were 50 plus yarders and a couple 55s, and I, I remember a um, uh, coach at one point said, man, I'm sorry for putting you out for that long of a one, I didn't realize it was in the middle of the streak, I'm like, no, I'm that's part of being a professional i like the streak doesn't matter it's winning football games that matters right. and, and i'm going to make it for you anyway but if i don't I don't shy away from because of a stat or of uh you know heck with that i don't i never really cared about stats or or records or anything that much if you do your job they'll all take care of themselves along the way
2: now adam matt mentioned earlier that you played 24 years in the national football league over two decades when you started out in 1996, did you ever think you have played this that long and had the success that you did have in the National Football League?
1: No chance. <laughs> if you had said that, I would have said I would have laughed at you and called you a liar. Probably. I think when I first got there, I just wanted to be a guy that that could stick around for a handful of years, get a head start on life, make a little bit of money to kind of move forward in life. And and uh, you, and it's funny because you know I felt like every year. Um, and, and thank goodness being surrounded by by really good athletes and guys, I learned so much just by watching the older guys and learning. And you know, hey, you get a lot of money and you got a lot of fame and fortune and all that, and so you can go to these parties, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing to do. You know, like exactly. be smart. You know, kind of stay in your zone. And the only the only party that you should have a good time and maybe get crazy at is the Super Bowl party after you win it. That, that's your <laughs> right. But other than that, kind of. I always felt like I always felt like you know just just do everything you can to, to be successful the next week and the next week and then at the end of the season kind of look back on the season and go okay what could I have done better what should I work on on this off season how can I take care of my body a little bit better can I lean out can I get stronger can I eat better can I, you know all the little things that that could potentially make you 1% 2% 5% better and and that's kind of how I addressed it every year. I felt like every single training camp I had to reestablish and reprove myself. Like, like I felt like I'm fighting for my job every day. And I think that mindset keeps you sharp, keeps you on edge, make sure you never get complacent. And I feel like, you know, I don't know if I really ever got complacent with anything, even toward the end of my career. I was always like, Hey, listen, this isn't guaranteed. You're not granted a spot just because who you are, or whatever. So, for me, I, I you know, years turned into decades, and just year at a time. And I, I do remember at one point, I'm like, "Wow, I've hit ten years!" And oh my, you know, now all of a sudden, hey, you're going, you're going to the Colts, and 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 then you know, oh my gosh, I mean, you got two decades, and I bet your four hundred one k is awesome and stuff like that. Contracting year after year, and the next contract, the next one, and then the next thing you know, it's like. I can't believe I played you know a quarter of a century almost it's 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 yeah I I pinched myself I never ever I remember playing against Morton Anderson when he was really close to the end I think he was in Atlanta at the time and I was still in New England and I, I just remember meeting him because he was you know growing up as a kid he was the guy along with some other guys but I I just admired him so much and I got to play you know against my my idol if you will And and I remember like shaking his hand and, and saying, you know, this is amazing. I get to play against you on, on the same field as you. I said, nobody will ever touch your records. You're, you played so long, right? And then to be able to to ultimately play pretty much the, about the same length of career and, and actually, you know, eclipse his all, some of his records and the all-time leading score and all that, like I've never thought in a million years I'd have that opportunity. But again, like I said, it was just, Year in, year out, don't even think about those kind of things. Just just keep plugging away until you can't do it anymore and see where you end up.
2: Yeah, you must have done something right. So the play of two decades is, is, is amazing, and uh, congratulations to you. And, and to play two, over two decades, I'm sorry, to, uh, you must have seen a lot of changes in the National Football League, especially in the kicking game. What are some of the changes did you see in the kicking game from the time you got in to the time you left the National Football League?
1: Well, you know, there absolutely from '96 to uh, '19 or whenever the last year was, uh, tons of changes. Uh, Some good, some eh, whatever. A a lot of health and safety things that uh, the CBA and the Players Association and the owners did to make the game safer, less contact uh, during practice, and you know, neurocog guy, you know, physicians and stuff on the sideline to make sure that you know, lots of good changes toward the game. Some rule changes to make sure you know you know defenseless receivers and it's just a lot of things like that um but as far as the game itself you know players just keep on getting bigger faster stronger i mean it's it's amazing what guys you know back when i first got into the league um you know i remember some of the old guys that were there that they talked about you know back in the 70s and 80s and early 90s they're like yeah i had to get a second job because they didn't get paid enough during football season to to, to be their full time job. Well, clearly that's different now, and guys mm-hmm. are, are really you know taking care of their bodies year round. It's not an off season versus on season. It's a you want to play for a long time in this league. You better not get too far gone, kind of thing. So, but but yeah, the what what guys are doing with footballs now. You know the the how the punters are taking different types of punts. We, yes. we didn't have all these crazy flip flop balls or these across the field stuff I mean they just it just didn't exist I remember if you know if a guy had a 40 yard net was unheard of and now it seems like two or three or four guys every year do that and it's just guys are just getting better you know more technically sound than they used to be even to a certain degree when I first got into the league I think the league average you know was 75 78 percent field goal accuracy so if you make Three out of four, you're doing good. Well, shoot, wow. You don't make if you if you're not eighty three or four or five percent now. They're looking to replace you. Yeah. it's just it's just different because guys are just that much better now. But um, you know, it just comes with all the amount of, of technical stuff and and year round work and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I think I think the, the the sports never been more profitable nor more healthy, more mm-hmm. more exciting to watch. I think with the way salary caps and drafts and all that you, you never know like your, your team might have been bad last year and they might be in the playoffs or winning the Super. You know, it's just amazing how quickly teams can turn around so I think it's fun for fans and with fantasy football I mean people are getting so engaged not only with their their local team but but players across the league so I think that the sport's never been healthier I think it's a it's a good time you know, for for football.
0: No doubt about it, Adam. And, and you just talked about, I mean, final couple of things, Adam, we, we've taken up too much of your time, but you did talk about playing all the way up until that 2019 season. And that season, you had surgery, you missed some time in training camp, you dealt with that injury all season. Clearly, that was a nagging issue for you all season. Can, can you describe the discomfort you were in during that 2019 season? And then, for lack of a better term, are, were, were you upset that you know, your last season in the NFL wasn't a fully healthy one for you? I mean, does does that still kind of nag at you?
1: No, of course. Yeah. So, so I, I had a a bum knee. I knew it for several years. Unfortunately, when you're 47 years old, uh, as soon as you go get knee surgery, you're probably done. They're probably not going to wait around for you and no other team's going to want you at that point. So uh, we knew you know, our staff, our our trainers and our docs are, are really, really good. They uh are physical therapists and, and we're we're hey, we're gonna keep you healthy and we're gonna kinda make a special program to keep you going. I knew the year before I was kinda struggling a little bit, but we made her through and and uh my pride got me a little bit, uh and thinking that I could continue on when I knew I kind of was needing to repair stuff. But unfortunately, yeah, we got into training camp. It jumped on me a little bit. I missed a bunch of training camp. I tried to get back for the first game and that didn't turn out so good. And then it's kind of a downhill spiral. So you never, you never want to, um you know, getting, getting treatments, one thing, injecting your knee week right. in and week out to uh, be able to go is, is a bad thing. And we got to a point where we just, couldn't continue on and you know my pride was telling me keep going you know you can't let the team down but I guess being on the field playing not at your peak is is uh is hurting the team as well so yeah I I obviously I wanted to make a you know after my surgery my my after after having that surgery after that season in the middle of the season going on IR and doing that I was like I'm coming back I'm going to make sure that this isn't my last year I'm going to push through this and do all that Covid hit. I couldn't get a, m- a lot of treatment and stuff like that, and the writing was on the wall a little bit, unfortunately. And and all good things have to come to an end. And 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 I guess I looked in the mirror and said, you know what, you had a pretty good career. You didn't want it to end. Statistically, my last year was not a good year for my standards or anybody's standards, mm-hmm. for that matter. But I, I still can look in the mirror and go, you know, you fought through some crazy stuff to try to stay on the field and help your team. So. Um. yeah, you know, it, it's a bummer deal. I, I wish it would have ended a little bit different. You know, if I would have <laughs> retired the year before, we wouldn't have went through that. But I mm-hmm. think it was a major learning experience for me too. And sometimes the, the toughest things in life make you a little bit stronger and a little bit better because of it. So I have no regrets.
2: Yeah. You know, Vinny, every team that I've played on, there's always been a, at least one guy and sometimes more that has been a prankster on the team. Now, which guy in the locker room when you were with the Colts was the biggest prankster? And if you could, on air, if you could, tell what was the biggest prank that either you pulled or someone pulled on you? Ooh,
1: um... I would say I was always in the top one or two guys <laughs>
0: <gangster-wise>, <laughs> on both teams, to be honest with you. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And
1: I think the reason being is um, because I have a lot of free time, right? <laughs> guys are in meetings and screwing around and stuff like that, and uh, um, so so – you know, even starting all the way back in New England, Scott Zolak uh, was a backup quarterback for Drew Blood, so he liked to mess around with us. He caught he cut the laces out of uh, Tom Tupa's uh, <laughs> the kicking shoes. When he pulled it, the, the laces popped. Well, if you know anything about kickers? You don't mess with their shoes, right? So, <laughs> needless to say, we destroyed his locker. We taped it shut so he couldn't even get into it. We, you know, we did lots of crazy things to him. Um, and uh, they they learned early to not mess with the kickers and 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 Peyton liked to mess around a little bit, but I think he and I came to a truce after he realized uh, he's funny, but I got a lot of free time to screw around, and so we kind of had a little truce too. But I think the probably the funniest prank that I ever saw, and, and it's a and I'll tell you, yeah. So we're I'm in New England, we're coming back, and we're coming back I think from Buffalo. Get a huge snowstorm and Bledsoe got a driver to pick him up because he lived further north, and he didn't want to come all the way back to the stadium to pick up his car. So there was big, big, you know, trucks or big, you know, tractors picking and moving snow and stuff. So Zolak paid one of the guys to engulf his car. Put They, they basically built – 20-foot drift all the way around his car. You didn't even know there was a car there. It just looked like a gigantic snow drift. And so he gets to he gets there the next day, and he's like, where's my truck? I know it's here somewhere. Figured it out. Has to get somebody to help, you know, a, 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 a real crew to come and dig his car out. But he got the last <laughs> laugh because, uh, you know, the next week he grabbed Todd Rucci's keys and Zolak's keys. I guess Todd was one of the offensive linemen, and he was ultimately the one that, that – he uh, mastermind it. So he grabbed Todd's keys, house keys, got a moving company, and the mover company went in and took all of his stuff in his house, including dishes, everything, out of his house, packed it down into his unfinished basement, all the beds. The wow. It's <laughs> diabolical. So, <laughs> unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. So when Todd got <laughs> to, the, to his house, opened up the door, um, Bloodsoe was behind him a block down. He said, oh, by the way, don't call the cops. Click. house. <laughs> 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 he walks into his house and it looks like it's like, like a brand new house that you're just moving into for the first day. Oh yeah. And it took him a week to get all of his stuff put back and all oh, that. My so gosh. here's the other team. Do not screw with a guy that makes millions of dollars and is a prankster because he'll
0: get you back. Yeah, (laughs) and and he'll spend the money, right? It's worth the money. money. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) If you're not, if you're willing to spend thousands of dollars to get somebody, you can do some pretty elaborate stuff.
0: Oh my gosh, that is that is elaborate right there. That's that's phenomenal. So many, I have so many questions. I have so many questions based just (laughs) off that story. But we'll we'll leave it at that and, and close with this. As we said, you know, 14 seasons with the Colts. Adam, you signed six contracts in Indianapolis. Going back and looking at that, that's that's amazing right there. But uh, 205 games for the Colts, a number that puts you behind only Reggie Wayne, Peyton Manning, and Johnny Unitas for the most in team history. So I know you're a humble guy. This is just us saying this. I mean, you you truly are a Colts legend. Uh, there's no other way to, to put it there. And with that, Adam, you're going to go into the Hall of Fame. There's, there's no doubting that you're going to be in the Hall of Fame. It's just a question of whether or not you're, you're a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I think that you're absolutely one of those guys. I mean, you're one of those guys where the presenter stands up in the voting room and just says, "Adam Vinatieri," and that's it, and just sits down. Like it's a, it's a drop the mic moment. You just get up, you say your name, and you're in. There's no discussion because everyone knows, right? They all know the resume. They know the NFL records. Everyone is aware of the clutch kicks and the Super Bowls. There's no need to go into a debate. I think you kind of fit into that rare category where they just stand up, say your name, sit down, and everyone writes your name down. Now, that's me saying that, right? Does it matter to you if, if you're a first ballot Hall of Famer? I mean, how important is that for you and, and your legacy? Well,
1: here's the deal. Uh, I, I hope everything that you've said is is accurate and it works that way. I mean, you know, I never really talked about it when I was playing because I was like, ah, don't jinx anything and don't right. do this or that. Uh, you know, it, I've been blessed to be on great teams surrounded by great athletes that have allowed me to be in the position to help, you know, win games, put icing on the cake, you yeah. know, win Super Bowls and that kind of stuff. So, You know, am I hopeful to make the whole – absolutely. I I think any of us that would say that they're not or are lying or being silly or whatever, I hope. I hope that's the situation. If I'm I'm lucky enough or blessed enough or the people that think that I'm worthy of going in as as a first ballot, that would be amazing. But for me, you know, I look at it this way and I go, couldn't have done it without – any of and all of the guys that helped me along the way my parents that raised me the right way and the coaches that i've had throughout all this so it's really you know it's it's a it's it's an honor if it happens that i get to put a jacket on and i get to give a speech and all that stuff but it's an accumulation a culmination of so many people's hard work and belief and and work with me that that got us there so I'm hoping if it is, it's going to be a damn good party.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a party. That's one of those parties you talk about that you're going to attend and uh, get a little loose at because that's going to be well-deserved, my friend. Thank you so much for, for all your time today. We can't thank you enough for all the stories and the insights and going down memory lane. Anytime you're up for it, we'd love to have you and talk some football. Continued success, Adam. Enjoy your family. Enjoy summer coming up, and I hope we can do it again soon.
1: Appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Thank you.